Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Hello, I'm Shazzy Hunt and this is You Beauty, the podcast for your face. Now, when my producer Gia and I recently decided to put together this Ask an Expert episode about rosacea, we put the word out on the UBD Facebook group for people to send through questions and we were floored with not only how prevalent rosacea was, but also how many people continue to struggle with it even after years of trying to manage it. And that's why today I've had to call in the big guns. I am joined by Dr. Adam Sheridan, specialist dermatologist and MOHS surgeon, and he is going to answer as many of your questions as we can. Dr. Sheridan, welcome to the UBD podcast. Thanks for having me. So rosacea is a common and chronic skin condition. It affects around 10% of the population. So why is it then it's so greatly misunderstood and even has a bit of a stigma about it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think With rosacea, it mainly comes down to the fact that it is multifactorial. There's many things that contribute to it. It manifests in different ways from patient to patient, and it really does span age groups. Anyone from 30 up to 60 or 70 can present. So there's a lot of experiences of rosacea that are out there, and no two cases are the same. So there's yeah a lot of experiences, information, different people are triggered by different things and respond to different things. And then on the flip side, it often does drive delayed diagnosis. So it's a hard one to identify in the early stages, which probably contributes to a lot of the confusion around rosacea. To the stigma, that is an interesting one. I agree with you. It's one of the conditions where a lot of people attend and it's triggered mainly by an experience where they've been accused of not looking after their skin. Why are you getting sunburnt, Gary? Or are you drinking at lunchtime? Or are are you angry or stressed, the redness and all of this? So I think it's a very visible condition it predominantly affects your face which is you know how you interface with the world so a lot of it comes down to that and I guess there's more and more attention now to the health of one's complexion being a signal of your I don't know self-care self-worth status general health so you know the stigma of a chronically red face is probably quite a significant one. So I know this could be a book onto itself but let's try and distill it down what exactly is rosacea And who does it affect? Well, in a nutshell, rosacea, the the term rosacea is from the Latin made of roses or rose-coloured. So really, I guess the defining factor of rosacea is this chronic progressive redness, mainly of the central face. It affects many age groups. It usually kicks in in the mid-30s and it can really go into the 50s. At least that's the, the patient group that we would see. There's different forms of rosacea. But as I say, the defining central theme is this redness that creeps up on people, becomes more and more exuberant, often associated with flushing and sensitivity, and then there's other factors that come into play. So it starts with the facial redness, and then the the related features are red bumps, irritated spots on the face. There's a form of ocular rosacea where people get an irritated, gritty red eye. And then I guess the, the extreme end of the spectrum, which a lot of people come in 
and uh, very keen to avoid is rhinophyma, that thickened bulbous nose that's the end stage, mainly in severe rosacea of the male. But, um, yeah. Redness is kind of a loose term and it could be due to a variety of reasons. You could have skin redness from hot flushes or slapped cheeks or broken capillaries or you just might be embarrassed. What is the difference between those kind of redness and rosacea? What makes rosacea redness unique? Yeah, this is the crux of it all is that exactly right. Facial redness can be a sign of many conditions ranging from, you know, sunburn and transient embarrassment through to, I don't know, an autoimmune condition like lupus. The characteristic feature of the rosacea redness is it's really the hue of the redness. It's relative chronicity. It's chronic. It's progressive. And there is a, a sort of a defining color or form that often would require your GP or your specialist to help you sort of identify this is rosacea. And part of the diagnosis of rosacea is one of exclusion where you work through all the other possibilities and make sure none of those are at play. I'm going to start with our first listener question for today. Like I said, we had so many, so I'm going to try and work through as many of the questions as we can. This one is from Robin, and it is something you touched on already. Are there different types of rosacea? Yes. Broadly speaking, we would divide them into, I guess, four parallel types of rosacea. They can exist individually or together. The defining form, as we have mentioned, is that central facial chronic redness that's rose-like. The second most common feature would be pimple-like bumps and lumps, again, affecting mainly the central face, but you can get them on the shoulders or upper body. That's usually referred to as inflammatory or glandular rosacea. The combination of the redness and those spots in the past was referred to as acne rosacea. But increasingly, we just simplify and call the condition rosacea. There's an ocular variant where people have this chronic inflammation of the eye and eyelids, and then the rhinophyma or the phimatous rosacea where you get thickening of the nose, sometimes forehead, cheeks, these types of areas. So they're the four main, I guess, subcategories, and they can all be present in one unlucky individual or they can operate on their own. That's what I was wondering. I was thinking, is it just, okay, I've got this type so I won't get the others, but you can actually have concurrent ones. Exactly. You can move from the central redness into the other forms. But one thing to stress is, please, if you have some early rosacea, don't lay awake at night imagining that you are predestined and it's inevitable that you're going to have a swollen red nose. That's a big concern with people and it doesn't always go that way. Now, I know if you have rosacea, and I'm sure anyone who has it already would know this, managing those causes and triggers that lead to a flare-up is absolutely crucial, although it can take a while to even work out what they are. But in general, what are the typical causes and triggers? Yes. Well, with rosacea, like so many conditions of the skin, really we would break it down broadly into genetic factors and then environment. So there are certainly people who are genetically predisposed to rosacea. Usually they're people with pale skin, blue eyes, blonde hair. But then that, I guess we'd call it a phenotype, your genetic makeup, then interacts with the environment. In terms of the environmental factors, the predominant one is environmental damage. Here in Australia, it's mainly sun exposure. But in the um, the Northern Hemisphere, extremes of temperature, a sub-zero cold winter day, and then moving back indoors to the heating, that kind of temperature shift plays a role, pollutants, wind, dust. And then the other environmental or lifestyle factor is probably gut health and diet. So oftentimes, if you have an irritated gut for whatever reason or a sensitivity, your facial skin, your rosacea can fire up in sympathy with that. And then 
somewhere between the two hormonal factors. So it's thought that perhaps rosacea is more common or uh, prominent in females because of the estrogen, progesterone, this female hormonal balance and interplay. And th- that hormone balance is a, a moving feast. So often premenopausal around the time of pregnancy or stopping the pill or starting the pill can be a trigger. And then other things like stress, these types of impacts can affect hormones and also lifestyle choices. So sorry, right there you can see it's quite a complicated maze, but I break it down to, in Australia, sunshine, hormones, and then gut health. That would be a simple first approach. When there are so many triggers and potential causes, how do you even go about trying to work out which one could potentially be the reason for your rosacea? Yes, well, I think that's where it's important to sit down yourself or with a you know, helpful GP, maybe they'll involve a specialist to run through, but pretty much every Australian out there could reduce the severity or the likelihood of their rosacea through a supportive skincare regime and sun protection. That would be a great way to start. And then second, a healthy lifestyle in terms of, I'm sure, avoiding all the things you talk about on your other great podcasts, alcohol, cigarettes, recreational drugs, all of those types of things that are having a negative impact internally and then that plays out in your skin. But yeah, if you have rosacea that seems to be progressing in a significant way, you've tried a gentle cleanser, moisturizer, sunscreen, you're living and eating and sleeping well, but it's still progressing, maybe that's the time you delve further, perhaps in conjunction with your doctor. Let's go to our next Facebook listener question from the UBD group, and this one's from Emily. How can you take the heat, pain and anger out of your skin during a rosacea flare-up? With the skin, especially with rosacea, I think the first thing to do is to resist the temptation that you must do something. So often in that moment, you reach in the cabinet and chuck everything you've got in there on in the hope you can put out the fire. hundred percent. That's like absolutely the reaction. It's like, right, start putting things on, hope for the best. Totally understandable. But maybe three deep breaths and uh, to, to focus and simplify, you really would want to just reflect on your skin state at that moment. Have you been engaged in a gentle cleanser and a moisturiser and have you recently exposed yourself to a classic trigger like sun or extremes of the environment and take yourself out of that situation? In terms of symptomatic relief, nothing beats just a gentle cold compress upon the face if it's feeling flushed and angry. There are various tricks that patients have taught me, so none of these are guaranteed, but ones that do come up quite frequently are drinking cold water, holding an ice cube briefly in the mouth, or running cold water over your pulse points on your wrist can have a soothing or cooling effect immediately. But then once that initial feeling passes, I think it's good to refocus upon, again, those three things. What in my environment is triggering me? Is there anything changing with my hormones or stress levels, other impacts? And have I been kind to my gut? Have I recently had spicy hot foods or or other known triggers like alcohol, et cetera? It's kind of in that moment where you'll get the chance to work out what your trigger is, is what you're saying. You've put your finger on it right there. Is that, I guess, to turn a negative into a positive, you are right at the epicenter of the event then and you can reflect over your past you know, days to week and what got me here and maybe write mm-hmm. that down, take some notes and that'll be helpful moving forward. Let's talk about treatment options to manage, you know, once rosacea has fled up and you've had that initial moment of it, what are your options from there as far as 
over-the-counter treatments, supplements, and then prescribed medication. If you end up in the, the doctor's room, so to speak, the classic prescribed approaches would be in the first instance an antibiotic for a short sort of six to eight week course. In the scenario of rosacea, you're often given a tetracycline. The classic ones are doxycycline or tetracycline. And for rosacea, they're being given for their anti-inflammatory effect, not for their antibiotic effect. So they're given at a low dose for six to eight weeks. And that's a great way to suppress or subdue further flares, but it's not curative. So that'd be an important thing to emphasize. The other things that your doctor might consider would be a topical vitamin A or similar product. And sometimes the good old over-the-counter anti-acne treatments like benzoyl peroxide, azelaic acid, these types of things for the lumps and bumps are useful. You'd probably want to avoid over-the-counter, as I say, anything that exacerbates or adds fuel to the fire. So in that acute phase, you'd avoid scrubs, peels, alpha-hydroxy acids, all of those skin polishing or, or renewal agents until your flare has settled. In the longer term, if you've explored those approaches but you are still suffering rosacea and is progressing that's when maybe you'll have a serious discussion with the doctor about is there anything on the hormonal side we can look at if you're a a young female taking the contraceptive pill is it the right one for you if you're perimenopausal are there any hormonal actions or interventions that are appropriate and then longer term vitamin a taken as a tablet the chemical is isotretinoin there's a famous brand name roaccutane Accutane, Oritane, those type of things that are low dose for a prolonged period can be very helpful. And they more, I wouldn't use the word cure, but they more drive a lasting, I guess you'd say, remission of rosacea in a lot of individuals. I've got another listener question for you. This one is from Hannah. Can laser treatments help rosacea? The short answer would be yes, definitely. But you do need to make sure that you're applying it to the correct form of rosacea. So laser is especially useful when someone comes in with that fixed redness of the face, often with associated broken vessels or venules of the the face and around the nose. It can be very effective at clearing that vascular, we call it erythematotelangiectatic rosacea, the vascular rosacea. It's less useful for inflammatory or glandular rosacea, the, the bumps that look like acne. And in fact, if you apply it to that form of rosacea, it can actually make things worse. The type of laser that's used for the redness is a vascular laser. The other form of laser that can be helpful is carbon dioxide laser for the rhinophimatous swollen nose and cheeks rosacea to sculpt it and smooth it away. That's another form of laser that can be helpful. Pain is subjective, so it depends on the individual, the dose applied. Most people say when they look back on it, uncomfortable or unpleasant or it wasn't pleasant, sort of a hot flick or a sting. A good description I've heard from a lot of people is you're standing at the stir fry in the kitchen cooking and something flicks you. In that moment, you jump, it's uncomfortable, but the feeling is almost passed by the time you've registered it. So it's not a lingering pain, but it's definitely not a relaxing 15 minutes. (laughs) We've talked about, you know, the skincare routine in that time when you're kind of mid flare up and dealing with in the days and weeks afterwards. But when you're in a place where your skin is doing good, so it's been a, a while since a flare up, can your typical skincare routine introduce a bit more of those active ingredients, you know, a bit more focused on skin improvement or do you need to really stick with the gentle stuff because it may be the trigger that leads to, you know, another rosacea incident? Yes, that's a very interesting question. With rosacea, 
I think it'd be wrong to ever say you cure someone of rosacea. So it would be important even if the episode is passed just to know that you have the tendency towards rosacea, to be mindful of the things that could flare your particular rosacea up. I guess a good example would be if someone had arthritis, we would never say to an arthritic patient, don't exercise, don't go to the gym, don't swim. You Mm. perhaps would modify your regime. So it's more about the frequency of your active skincare, Mm. the intensity of your peel or scrub. You, You probably would be needing to dial things back in terms of frequency and impact if you've experienced rosacea first. And that goes to another question from Anne-Sophie. So is there a gentle way to exfoliate when you are prone to rosacea? Yes. I mean, there are various ways to exfoliate. I guess I'd dig a bit deeper and if someone was looking to exfoliate, just to pause and think, why am I wanting to exfoliate? Is it because I want to clarify my skin complexion? Does my skin feel rough and scaly? Am I doing it in, in hopes that I'll clear the redness, etc.? just to make sure that it is an appropriate treatment for you. But if you're using it as a you know a skin treat, a lift or a, a brighten each week or each fortnight, then certainly it's an acceptable and people find it a pleasing lift for their complexion. But yes, if, if you thought that you were using that as a medical treatment and the target isn't clearing, maybe try a different approach. And are there any actives or specific types of skincare products that should be just absolute no-nos even when you are in a good place gosh it's hard with that i mean it's that classic thing you hear on uh, you know finance podcasts you can't give personal advice as general only (laughs) without seeing the individual in front but look you can it would be i would hate to be that killjoy dermatologist who says all you can ever use for the rest of your life is this boring cleanser this boring moisturizer and you know a zinc sunscreen you definitely can play in the area of gentle alpha hydroxy acids skin renewal vitamin c all of this it's really just making sure that you are not overdoing it so perhaps for someone who's had significant rosacea you wouldn't explore those products more than weekly and you would start off at the lower end of the spectrum the type of thing that i'd counsel against would be microdermabrasion if it was vigorous this kind of thing if you're finding yourself in a beauty clinic a dermatology clinic and you're about to have a treatment even if your skin's looking clear on the day it would be very good to have an honest conversation with the person about to apply the treatment say oh i should mention i have had rosacea before and i'm sure that your therapist will dial things down or select the gentler setting for you what about makeup where does makeup fit into all this is it okay first of all to cover up rosacea with makeup Yes, I, I, it might be unexpected for some listeners to hear the dermatologist say yes. But yeah, when you are experiencing such a significant flare, it's red, it's right out there, it affects self-esteem, we would certainly support camouflage or makeup to reduce the impact. I guess the key things to bear in mind is you don't want to do anything to congest or block the skin. So the temptation obviously is to put on thick makeup so that you're you know, uh, Zoom or Instagram ready, but you would want to keep the makeup as thin as possible. Water-based makeups are better than sort of thick congesting powders. And if you are engaging in makeup, maybe give your skin a rest and open up your skin, so to speak. Give it a chance to breathe at least once every 24 hours. So, you know, in the nighttime, maybe you'd remove it, put on the oil-free moisturizer and just let your skin be and recover. You touched on the other side of rosacea, which is beyond the physical and goes to self-esteem and, you know, managing triggers, treatment options, that's only part of it. How can you go about handling that down that kind of comes 
with rosacea. Yeah, gosh, and that is a really significant part of rosacea. It's it's not just the appearance, it's how it makes you feel about yourself. I guess the first steps with any condition like that is to just, number one, pause, remember that you're not alone. It's a very common condition. It exists across age groups, all kinds of members of society, and it's been around forever, so you're definitely not alone. Number two, it's always good just to remember that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's never been a better time to have rosacea than now because there are so many effective treatments. So if you get onto the correct treatment for your specific type of rosacea, you're probably never ever more than, I would say, six months away from really improved skin. And then I guess the third thing would be to take back control yourself. So make some notes, what triggers me, If it helps you, chat with your health provider and they can give you or help work with you to develop a pathway to better skin. We finish every episode of You Beauty by debunking a common myth. And I feel like we've already upended a few in this episode, but give me your take on this one. Alcohol causes the red nose of rosacea. That is such a classic comment or question we get, especially from men. And like every, I guess, myth, uh, there is a kernel of truth in that if you have rosacea or rosacea tendency, alcohol can exacerbate it. So if you've got faint redness of your central face and you have alcohol and you're prone to flushing, it will draw it out. And alcohol being a toxin and an irritant for the bowel, it can sort of drive rosacea through that gut-skin pathway. But it'd be wrong to say that alcohol out and out causes rosacea. It probably reveals your tendency or exacerbates it. So, you know, as always please drink in moderation. (laughs) Good advice for all of us. Dr. Sheridan, thank you so much for helping us get through all those questions and for sharing your expertise on this topic. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode of You Beauty was produced by Gia Moylan. I'm Shazzy Hunt and I'll be back again next week with another expert interview. And if you're looking for something else to listen to, why not check out the Quickie, Mamma Mia's news podcast. Is it on us to kind of have everyone prove that they're vaccinated or have people know who and who isn't vaccinated before they attend, say, a family event, for example? I think for large events like a wedding or a large party, I have heard of some people asking for questions of are you vaccinated on, say, the invitation form. I think the challenge there is many of us wouldn't be quite at the place of wanting to require proof. And so then you're still at a place where you might just have to trust people. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Speak to you next time.